0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select Campus miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears.
1: There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now.
2: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
3: What up? It's the Crossover Pod, a Friday edition. I'm
4: Howard Beck, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. As I record this, 28 of the 30 teams have played a game. The other two will have played by the time you hear this. Which means we now know who's winning the title, which teams should be blown up, and of course, the MVP. Um, do fans and media and other sports overreact the way we do on the NBA? Is it just an NBA thing? I kind of feel like it might be. Uh, Anyway, to help me not overreact, but maybe shed a little light on what does matter so far is one of the smartest NBA analysts out there, my friend Seth Partnow. You know him from his work at The Athletic, uh, his book, The Midrange Theory, which we discussed on the pod last year. And of course, he's formerly the director of basketball research for the Milwaukee Bucks, Super smart dude. We are going to discuss all of the sample size, theater, early impressions, and a couple other things. Before we get to Seth, my weekly plug, Sports Illustrated and Triumph Books have a great new book out commemorating the Lakers' 75th anniversary. It's called The Greatest Show on Earth. It's got 15 stories from the pages of SI from the 60s to the present covering all the Laker legends. I'm talking Kareem and Magic and Wilt, Elgin Baylor, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron, and written by some of the greatest sports writers of those eras frank deford jack mccallum lee jenkins chris ballard and many more I had the honor of writing the introduction for this book, and it's now available for pre-order with a 30% discount. Here's what you do. Go to triumphbooks.com, search for greatest show on earth. There's also a direct link in the summary of this podcast, or you can go to this bit.ly link, bit.ly slash Lakers 75. When you get to check out, use the discount code Lakers 30. Again, triumphbooks.com or the link, that I just mentioned, and in the summary of this podcast, discount code LAKERS30. Okay, my conversation with Seth Partnow is coming up next, so stick around.
3: This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo
1: ever. I don't see how you can beat that.
3: Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. Now pleased to be joined by the man
4: who separates all NBA players into tiers, which are not rankings. They're just Never. tiers, folks. But even in tiers, they are still designed to insult your favorite player and your favorite team because he's just mean that way. Seth Parnell, how are you, sir?
5: Uh, how's it going, Howard? Uh, thanks for having me. I, it's, I hate your team no matter who it is, and I hate them all equally. <laughs> That's the point of the tiers, really, is that no matter what tier
4: you're in, Somehow you've been insulted. You've been slighted. All tears, all rankings are just made to, uh, to insult and annoy people. That's, that's why they exist. Uh, also to get you to keep clicking, frankly.
5: Um, you know, the yeah. com- commerce has to commerce.
4: <laughs> Indeed. Um, I should note before we get too deep into this, Seth and I uh, are in the back half of a home and home here, which means you can also hear me yammering on Seth's podcast, "Call Shots" on the Call In app. It's very confusing to have the "Call In Shots" on the Call In app, but it's also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all the other places where you get podcasts. So go go look for uh, for that as well. We talk a lot of Lakers um, and um, and the season and uh, broadly parody some other things. It was a fun conversation. People should go check that out too. Um so I, I do to back to your your tears for a minute. We're going to get into some some overreaction theater here with uh with uh, on day 3 of the NBA season. Um but before we do, uh so you've done the tears for the Athletic a few years running now. Is it year 3?
5: Yeah, this past summer was year 3. Yeah.
4: Okay. Based solely on that and the solely unscientific gauge of social media who are the pure, peri- uh the, the perpetual perennial most aggrieved fan bases either by city or player who is like who is screaming at you the most about why you have been mean to their team or player
5: uh i mean it's consistently been knicks fans um there's there's a player type that i am up front that i am you know, I, I think less of than than probably consensus, which is the sort of high volume, moderate to slightly below average efficiency score on a mediocre team, like the star player on a bad team kind of guy. So, I like, you know, over the years, it's been, you know, RJ Barrett, uh, Brendan Ingram, uh, players of that sort of, of, of kind of archetype that I've, I, people think that I'm more down on relative to kind of high- level role players like uh, you know I I gravitate more towards the Mikhail bridges the Dorian Finney Smith um just because I'm th- like for those guys um you know if you're if you're RJ Barrett and you're trying to win a championship RJ Barrett is matching up with you know just in terms of not necessarily like who's guarding whom but in terms of like stature on a team he's matching up with Paul George he's matching up with you know or go up the ladder Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, Kawhi, like, you're at a disadvantage, whereas if you have those elite 3 and D guys, which is, you know, it's your Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Andrew Wiggins, which is why he's become such a, a valuable player in Golden State. Um, those players fit in anywhere and contribute positively anywhere. Um, now, if you don't have, you know, that's the, 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 is that the side dish and you need the sizzle, the main course, the star player? Yeah, but that's why you need a tier one, tier two player to really compete for a title.
4: Yeah. It's it's funny. And I think you and I actually had this conversation at one point, but just the idea of like trying to calibrate how to rate somebody when, you know, having a primary scorer is really important. And so R.J. Barrett's going to be the next primary scorer, possibly, presumably, uh, he and Randall. But if they're not efficient, then like you're not great in the role. The role is we need you to kind of be the star that you maybe not are suited for. Whereas you're saying, you know, you're giving a higher ranking, essentially, or a higher value um, in your mind to the Mikael Bridges type because though it's a lesser role, he's playing it to the hilt. He is he is the among the best of the best within that um that framework, which really matters, right? NBA teams ultimately you're trying to kind of slot guys into into roles, and it's when guys have to play a role that's bigger than they can handle. If you try to make Mikhail Bridges the fulcrum of your offense, suddenly you, Seth Partnow, are probably dropping him a tier or two.
5: This, this was really, I, I, this is a lesson I learned hard the first time, I think, with Trevor Ariza. When he mm-hmm. went from the Lakers, and I, I have it right, they went from the Lakers to the Rockets, right? As a, think that's right as a big free agent signing and he'd been like kind of a revelation as that you know play good defense stick a corner three get out in transition former
4: Knicks draft pick Trevor Reese. Yeah. I might note.
5: <laughs> right and he had, he had he'd emerge in the, in the postseason that and then he's he goes to the Rockets and is expected to be a ball and hands guy and was pretty mm. poor and it's just like well he's not a worse player he's just like in one situation he's asked to do the things he can do and the other he's asked to do the things he can't do and yeah. the, the and it's the same player, but in one situation he's, I mean, demonstrably very useful towards winning a title, and in the other he's an anchor.
4: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I look. I mean, listen. You worked for the Bucks for for a few years, and um, people around the league, whether we're analyzing from the outside or from the inside, that is the the, the key, right? It is finding not just the the um, the best players. You need a lot of the best players to, to win at a high level, but it's finding the right players and the right fit. And also then putting them in a system or a program or next to players where you get the best out of them, but don't ask them to do too much or, or be more of a, of a contributor than, than they're designed to be, or than they're capable of being right. Like it's, it, it's, none of it's that simple, but it kind of breaks down that way. So, I mean- and I think that's what fans sometimes lose track of and all, you know, also getting caught up in the numbers. And obviously, you know, a guy like Barrett don't want to pick on him necessarily, but he's a guy who has put up some numbers and especially last season, you start running him through basketball reference and you go, Oh, he, you know, he charts out as, as this, he's in this, this uh, elite group of guys who have done this by X age or whatever, but if it's not at an efficient rate and you can't see the efficiency coming based on his jump shot or whatever, like, uh, you know, that, that all matters too. Right. So. Um, It's,
5: it's, you know, it's, it's, it is ultimately it's a team game and it's, it's, you know, if I score 50, but we total 52, have I, we scored 52 total? Have I had a good game or not? Yeah. If you're playing fantasy, obviously, if you're trying to win NBA basketball games, maybe not.
4: Well, I used to say this about um, sometimes a, a team would be on a streak of allowing a bunch of players to go for 30 or 40 on them or something, or like three guys got 40 on them in a week or something. It really doesn't matter. Like if a guy goes for 70 on you, that's a big gaudy number. Not that many players have gone for 70 in NBA history, but like we go, we get caught up in somebody getting a 50 piece. It really doesn't matter if the rest of the team didn't do anything, right? And, and if you won, and if you still scored one more point than the team with the 50 point guy. So we sometimes get a little bit too caught up in, and now granted. Most of the time a guy gets 50-plus, it's probably because he was scoring at a pretty high efficiency uh, that game, which is why he kept getting opportunities from his teammates and his coach to keep going. So, anyway.
5: <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to have a bad game, but it's just there's gradations of good.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, I had a note in my notes from a year ago when we spoke <coughs> when uh, your wonderful book first came out, which is now in paperback, correct? Uh, the mid-range theory
5: came out this week in paperback.
4: So we talked about it a year ago on the pod when it had first come out as now in paperback. So folks, if you didn't get it the first time, uh, go buy it now. Um, I had in my notes from a year ago that I did not get to. I don't think, and I wanted to ask you now because uh, I've never asked you. Uh, you were with the Bucks for that that big chunk of time. Did you get a ring when they won?
5: I no. I so I had left by the by the time that they that, <sighs> that, that, that they that they won. Um, I, my equivalent of it is as uh, is someone I knew at the NBA uh, actually took a copy of my book and put it on the pedestal with the Larry O'Brien trophy and took a picture of that and <laughs> sent it to me. And honestly, that's that for me, that's a, it's, it's my avatar on Twitter now. And so I think that was, I don't yes. want to say it's just as good, but I got a lot of satisfaction from that.
4: Yeah, the 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 time, everything. First of all, the last few years, like time, has had no meaning, and so I keep having a hard time trying to remember order of events. But I thought you were still there, like at least earlier in that season or something. Did I did I misremember that as no, well? No, I I, I
5: I left the twenty nineteen off season, so I uh, uh, my okay. first year, my first year back in public was the season we, that that got delayed via the pandemic. So um, I think okay. I would feel probably a lot more conflicted about the Bucks having won the title if they had ended up winning the title that year. Like, you know, you never, uh, you, you know, if they're, they're, they're being two years space between when I left and then I, it's like, I didn't want to, oh, replace the Ewing theory with the part now theory. We didn't, I didn't, I didn't want that to happen.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So I wanted to bring you on for a couple of reasons, but not least of which is that, um, we're taping this on a Thursday, a couple hours before the game. So 28 teams have played a single game each and two teams have not played yet. That's the Clippers and your former employer, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and you had already gotten to some, having some fun with some small sample size theater, but with all the qualifiers that it's uh, a person of, of your intellectual sophistication would have, which is, Hey folks, I don't want to go too far with this, but interesting to note that XYZ has happened. And I thought, But this is first week of the NBA season, and this is what we do, right? We're already ready ready to bury the Nets. They were a disaster against the Pelicans. Um, We're ready to bury the Lakers. We were already ready to bury the Lakers anyway. We're just looking for the proof. Um, But uh, you know, Jalen Duran is now in rookie of the year consideration, apparently. Um, So I just thought it'd be fun to do a little bit of uh, small sample size theater here. And before I get to kind of like the few of the ones that, that you have noticed um, that are interesting beyond just being a one game sample, uh, I thought I'd just throw a few of these at you because they are ridiculous on their face, but maybe not entirely ridiculous. So who should be more worried, Seth, the Lakers or the Nets?
5: The Lakers. You can see a path for the Nets. Now, I should caveat that by saying that if they trade Westbrook and picks for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, then I guess that's a, that's a pretty sharp sea change for the Lakers as well. But barring, barring that, like with the rosters they currently have, uh, I mean, you know, the Nets played bad, the Lakers are bad.
6: now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: So let me just pull on one thread there, which is this. Rob Palenka, before the season began, the Lakers uh, team president, GM, whatever his title is these days, who has an extension, Um said he's not opposed to trading the two first-round picks that they are, have available to them if it's the right move. And I think he alluded to the idea that it should make them a contender, or maybe maybe that's been reporting that it's they only want to do if it makes them a contender. I don't think there's anything they can do in the short term that's going to make them a contender. Um, but I do think that the trade that you've talked about, that that everybody has speculated on for a long time now, that's been discussed between the teams, the healed turner thing, it doesn't make them a title contender, Seth, but I believe it at least makes them much better and relevant and solves certain or at least fills certain gaps in that roster. Like, if you, were, if you were working for the Lakers right now in the position that you had with the Bucks, and they came to you and said, what do you think? Is this good enough return? Does it get us far enough, advance us enough this season? We don't, we don't need to be contenders. Let's, let's just say the Lakers actually conceded that point. We just want to be in the mix. We want to be a top six team. We want to have a puncher's chance to advance in the playoffs. Is that deal worth it?
5: I mean, it, so the first thing I ask is, is uh, how long is my contract insofar as <laughs> how, what's the chances that I'm around when those draft picks come due? You got the, an
4: extension when Palenka did. How about that? Well, no,
5: but if I'm, if I'm somewhere <laughs> else when those picks come due, fire away. Like that's, yeah. that's costless for me. But in all seriousness, um, uh, I think it. I, I I think with with that trade, it at least puts them in chip in a chair territory. Um, mm. In that I, you know, I do. Does it make them prime contenders? No. Does it put them in a in a situation where hey, if we get a reasonably balanced roster to the playoffs and have LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy, does anyone want to play us? So then, like, would I pick them to beat the Warriors in the series? No. Would I pick them to beat the Clippers? Well. I mean seven home games so maybe but um <laughs> but but at least it it's uh, you know best player on the floor still means something and and can LeBron dial up for that for if he again doesn't have to use all his energy during the regular season to get them to the seventh seed um you know I' I as someone who who first I've, I've talked about this a lot as I wrote the first is LeBron slowing down article in 2014. Um, and you know, oops, eight
4: years ago. Yeah. Eight years
5: ago. So, uh, you know, I'm a little gun shy, but like, but even, even with those concerns, like, you know, do you want to play LeBron with a real team around him in the playoffs?
4: Yeah, I mean, listen, I've been saying this each of the last few years because his, his seasons keep getting short because of injury, and that's what happens when you get older in this league and when you've logged as many miles as he has in this league. But the fact is, when he does play, he's still playing at an MVP level. He's putting up MVP kind of numbers. You can, you can knock him on the defensive side if you want to, but in a playoff series, if he's well-rested, when I know he'll turn up the defense, I'm still rolling with him. In fact, I, I, I still, I know we're all, you know, everybody's moved on to, uh, Giannis is best player in the league, uh, or it's Jokic or maybe it's Embiid or it's going to be Lucas soon, or Hey, on any given night, it's Durant. I, on any given night in any given playoff series. I'd still say it's poss- possibly LeBron for 82 games. It may not be, but if you gave me one guy I could pick for a playoff series tomorrow, best of seven, I think I'm still taking LeBron personally, but you know, um, I, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a stretch. Yeah.
5: No, I think and I think honestly, like LeBron is the, the bigger the bigger half of that deal is frankly, uh I mean, the the single biggest issue with the Lakers is that if Anthony Davis was a guy who could play twenty eight hundred minutes a year, play seventy-five, eighty eighty games twenty eight hundred minutes and just like, you know, be that guy, then their floor is is only can only go so low. But he's not that. And so just getting yeah. like a Miles Turner to be able to all right. Well, we, you don't need to make every play on defense for us. You can, I, like, yeah. if you, if you play, if there's a couple nights a year where you play defense, you only play hard on defense for 10 minutes. That's fine. Just being able yeah. to, to do that, um, puts them in a situation where just getting to April reasonably whole would be, is, is something that, you know, is just going to be hard for them on, like, regardless of what their record is by that point.
4: Yeah. Listen, I understand the idea that, you know, maybe as uh, teams start figuring out who they are and who they aren't over the next month, that some teams will start pulling the plug, try to jump into the Wambanyama sweepstakes, perhaps, and that other trades might become available that maybe are a better payoff than Heald and and Turner. But if that was the only deal I could get, I would absolutely do it myself. Um, Of course, slight caveat there, too. Miles Turner uh, twisted his ankle last night, and he's been hurt a lot over the course of his career. But... When healthy, and I, I feel like that would be an unfortunate thing with the Lakers. It's like Anthony Davis when healthy, LeBron when healthy, Miles Turner when healthy. When healthy, guys, an incredible shot blocker and can shoot the three much better than Anthony Davis does. So now you've you've got, uh, you know some you know uh, ability to space the floor with with two bigs out there. Um, I would do it. Easy for me to say, right? But I, I would do
5: it. Let so. Let me suggest. Last point on this. Let me suggest yeah. that Indiana is going to be uh, very conservative in terms of uh, their players coming back from injury this year. I feel pretty confident <laughs> that no one is rushing Miles Turner to get back on the floor uh, in, in, in sort of the the right now. Uh, uh, all right, second for, question
4: of for mine, whatever for reason Sample Size be. Theater, and I alluded to this uh, in the opener. All right, who's leading the Rookie of the Year campaign? <laughs> um Rookie of the year, Palo Bancaro or Jalen Duran? Uh Bancaro's first game, 27 points, nine rebounds, five assists and two blocks. Jalen Duran, the 13th pick, uh going to the uh the Pistons through machinations that involved the Knicks. 14 and 10 with three blocks. Uh, a lot of Jalen Duran excitement on the timeline uh last night. Um, who you got? Bancaro or Duren in small sample size theater for rookie of the year? Wrong
5: piston. Give me Jaden Jade Ivy. Ivy. Yeah, no. Um, I, it, I, I, I Be- think
4: Duran was the more fun one to throw in there, but yeah. obviously, yeah, Ivy had a pretty nice day yeah. as well.
5: I mean, you know, Ben Caro is gonna he's gonna have the he's gonna play enough, he's gonna have the ball enough, he's gonna put up the numbers, and he's frankly pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. it's like you know, single game, but if that's at all like the Paulo Bancaro we see this season, um, it's an award that's done by January. It's
4: interesting, and part of the reason I brought it up, Seth, is that not everybody around the league was sold, right? Like, you had this kind of three-man race for the number one pick, and, you know, I I think some people felt like, well, Bancaro, he's going to be really solid. He's going to do a lot of things really well, but maybe not one thing elite, right? And so it was, is he really a building block? Is he he really uh, the guy, the, the, the primary building block, right? And so that he came out blazing... Again, one game against not a not so great opponent, but that he came out blazing. I, th- I think was interesting to see, just because I felt like there was some modest expectations by teams that were not Orlando, by teams that were not as high on him as worthy of number one. Uh, with the with the idea that this is a guy who now is your foundation. Um, but again, one I, game. I,
5: we'll I think that there was. I think there's probably a pretty strong consensus that of the three players, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren. And and Caro, of the three, he was going to have the best rookie season, just from a you know a, a skill set physicality standpoint. Like he just he's just more ready to do stuff. Like Holmgren, yeah. obviously, you know he's missing the season, but all just like the physicality. And and you know Jabari Smith is is a you know uh, a lot of his potential is defensive, and it's not going to matter with Houston this year because they're not going to be good defensively no matter what they do. So it's looking a couple of years down the road to him being sort of almost like the, uh, like what what if Michael Porter Jr. could guard? Kind of is is almost like the idealized <laughs> version of Jabari Smith, um, and that's a, that's a very yeah. good player. But that's you know that's not something yes. that's gonna that's not, like rookies are bad defensively just in general. I mean give or take Evan Mobley. Um, so we just weren't going to see that this year. So I think that that Ben Caro being good at being the best of the three out of the box is not a surprise him being legit good out of the box is, you know, room for optimism based on one game.
4: Yeah. Um, my bonus corollary to the uh, rookie of the year, my, by the way, facetious rookie of the year, uh, race question. Um, is it too soon to say? Also, slightly facetious, folks. Is it too soon to say that the Knicks blew it by trading the pick that became Jalen uh, who they actually could have had twice because they traded out of eleven, and then they ended up with the thirteenth pick eventually and, uh, and routed that to the Pistons to dump Kemba Walker's contract.
5: Uh, I mean, they out of that they ended up with Jalen Brunson and Isaiah Hart. Seems pretty good. So, yeah. I mean, I think I, I you know. Um, I don't know how much where that uh, the Jalen Brunson signing ultimately gets them, um, in terms of in the East in, East pecking order. But that's, I mean, I think Jalen Brunson is going to be a a better player for the next two to three years than Jalen Duran.
4: I only brought it up because uh, the Knicks have had so many of these moments where, uh, you know, sliding doors and trading right. out of picks and, or missing a guy or not, you know, taking Toppin over Halliburton, which sure. I know a lot of my fr- friends who are Knicks fans are, are still stung over. But also just because, um, listen, I'm, I'm on record as saying, I thought clearing the, the the room to get Jalen Brunson was the right move. Um They've needed a point guard since forever. Uh, I've been in this city for eighteen years, and they've very, very rarely had anybody, and they've been short-term stopgaps for that matter uh, who could handle it. and i and I believe that having somebody as solid as as Brunson, while he may never make an all-star team, just having somebody to settle things down, get people in the right spots, control the offense, make it easier on everybody so that to our earlier conversation, a guy like Barrett's not having to overdo it, right? Uh, and is, it should hopefully get easier shots because of, of, of Brunson being there and them having some semblance of of, uh, of an offensive uh, fulcrum.
5: I, ha- I have to say, like, not to make everything about, like, transactions and contracts, but I, I feel a little different about the, the moves to get Jalen Brunson. I was sort of pricing in, well, and then R.J. Barrett's going to get a max extension and blah, blah, blah. And he actually got a, like, a very reasonable... Yeah. From a, from a team perspective a, a extension. And so from a future, like, ability to continue to add talent, um, it's not the, the Brunson contract is not as much of kind of a, a salary cap brick as it might have been if they had already had, you know, all the, like, you know, max money going out for, for RJ Barrett. And then whatever they end up doing with, you know, with, with, with quickly. And if they keep topping and then Quentin Grimes is going to, and so all these things. Um, so I think that, that, made, that makes me revise sort of how I felt about that signing a little bit.
4: Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I had one other one, but I, I want to I flip this around and, and let you go because I, I did ask you in advance, give me a few things sure. that, that have been kind of percolating. So give me two or three things depending on timing here and, and, and when you need to jump. Give me something worth noting based on the first couple nights that again, small sample size, but given what we saw in the preseason, given what we already knew about a team or a player. Some things that are worth noting now through small sample size theater that may or may not mean a thing when we get to April.
5: So there's three players that that kind of run together. And one of them, I expected it to be a problem. One, I expected it to work it out. And one, I wasn't sure. And it kind of didn't quite work out that way. I'm talking about, you know, the three prime most ball dominant players in the NBA, which are Luka Doncic, James Harden, Trey Young. Now, I kind of expected uh, to their detriment because of losing Brunson and not really adding any more like on-ball creation or, or ball handling that like, that was going to steer even further into, you know, Luka does everything offensively. And he's coming into the season in better shape because of uh, of, of, of his summer national team play and stuff like that. That's fine. It's still uh, the, the, the load on him has been too much. And in Game 1, he already led the league, I believe, in uh, – uh, there's a stat I like to use called time of possession percentage, which is amount of time that the player has the ball relative to the time his t- team is on offense when he's in the game. He'd already been the league leader the last couple of years in that. Uh, and usually the league leaders are in the mid to high 40s. He's around 48% last year. He had the ball 54 some percent of the, of the uh, percent of the time he was on offense uh, in game one. So that's, I expected them to lean into that more, and I don't think that's positive. I kind of expected Harden and Maxi to do a little more sharing and it didn't work out that way. Harden's time of possession is up a little bit and beyond that there were a number of possessions um I think Steve Jones uh ha- of of uh the 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 Dunker Spot podcast uh had a um uh, a Twitter thread where he pointed out some of these there's still these these if you're playing the part of the appeal of having like a two guard front like this is you can play off each other Tyrese Maxey can run effectively action on one side and the defense shifts, You kick the ball to the other side, and then James Harden can attack a shifting defense. They did the first part of that, but then the ball swings to Harden and he holds it. And, you know, if, if he's basically turning himself into a guy you don't have to guard on the perimeter if, like, Jason Tatum, who's guarding him for a lot of time, is helping way into the paint and has all the time in the world to close back out to him. And so the lack of synergy between what should be three very strong offensive options in Philly was concerning in game one. And then on the flip side, players who I did not think were as natural a skill set fit, in Trey and DeJounte Murray, because DeJounte Murray has never really been a good off-ball player because of skill set, and Trey has never been an especially willing or active off-ball player. In game one, it actually worked pretty well. His time of possession percentage was down uh, you know it's still in the forties but it's down from like forty eight to forty two and after taking seventy seven catch and shoot threes all of last year he took four on opening night. He didn't make any of them. But still, if that if 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 Atlanta can balance the load of their offense better, I don't know how much it helps them in the regular season, but I think and looking towards a postseason, I think it makes them a much more difficult and resilient offense to contend with. If they can attack from multiple angles, if you have to account for Trey when he doesn't have the ball, uh, much like you know Doncic and and uh, Lu- and uh, Harden, he's been a guy who when he gives the ball up has kind of tended to I'm going to stand by half court and wait till I get it back or take the rest of the play off. If you have to, well, actually no, he's a great three point shooter spotted up, so we still have to guard him. That that I think while someone competent with the ball is doing something on the other side of the floor, I think that just makes them so much more difficult to guard. That's one game. We'll see if it lasts. But that, if I, was, if I was a Hawks fan or, or in the Hawks organization, that would be a very encouraging development to me.
1: There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table.
1: Hey, where are you? Coming!
0: And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card...
1: Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it.
0: And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel...
2: If you dare.
4: Yo, it's funny. Uh, on the Harden note, I thought, <laughs> and I don't want to overreact, but we're doing overreaction theater and small sample size theater, so why not? I, if I'm going to overreact to a data point from the Sixers' first game, it's not even anything that Harden did did, although there was plenty of that too. It's something he said because Chris Haynes for Turner uh, on the TNT broadcast said, I talked to James Harden today and he said, he's going to show everybody this season why he's still the old James Harden from Houston, why he can still play at that level. He can still. And I thought, okay, fine. Like physically, that's a good thing for the Sixers and for James Harden. Um, but then he went out and played a game in which it seemed like he was trying to remind us by dominating the ball whenever he got the chance. And I thought, well, that's Not good. I mean, if you wanted to justify the way he played in Houston, uh, you could say, well, the results justified it. You could say that the supporting cast justified it. You now have Joel freaking Embiid, the two time runner up for MVP, uh, and Tyrese Maxey, who could be, you know, a perennial all star eventually. This is not a time for James Harden to be playing like Houston James Harden. So I don't want to overread into what he told Chris Haynes, but when Chris came on and said that, and then Harden played to a, like, like I say, to it to a different standard. It was like, I'm not just doing, then it's, then it makes me wonder, are you just doing this for the numbers and for you to, to raise your profile again and get your, the respect back that you think you lost? Like if that's the case, you know, that, that could, that could hurt them.
5: I don't even think you need to be, you know, uh, I mean, he, oftentimes this is, this is, um, you know, that might be the way he thinks winning bad, like they can win basketball games. I don't agree with that. But I think that I, I, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, it being James Harden, it's, it, I think that that probably leads us to believe certain things. If it was any, if it was, there, there are a number of players who, you know, play a way that maybe is not the best way to play, but it's the way they think is best for yes. the team. And it's, and, and so I, so you don't even have to get like that with it. Just like you've got Joel Embiid. Why is, why are there four people standing and watching James Harden dribble the ball at the top of the four every possession? Yes.
4: Yeah. Right. That, that to me is a problem. Um, And, and one that, you know, uh, you know, Harden's got to find the balance and Doc is going to have to get them to find the balance where, you know, Harden at his best is going to be as effective as he was in Houston, but not as ball dominant as he was in Houston. I think that should be the fair.
5: uh, And you're, you're giving enough away defensively with the Harden maxi backcourt. That if they're not playing off each other, you're kind of losing that trade off. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing that that's that's like if you have that backcourt, your offense has to be top three in the league, and they can get to they can be a top I don't know eight offense playing a certain way, but they need they need they need higher than that, and they that means they need to 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 have those three players interacting and you know bouncing off each other and making each other better in ways that I don't totally think they did in on opening night.
4: Seth, if you were to allow yourself turn off uh, your uh, your sophisticated analytical brain for a moment, and you allowed yourself to just believe in what you saw in these small sample sizes of these three teams, is, is there like did is there anything that if you allowed yourself to do that would change where you thought these teams might finish? Like based on the small sample size of Trey and Dejounte actually working pretty well uh, together and off of each other, do you think a little bit more positively about the Hawks? Do you think a little bit more negatively about the Sixers? Uh, Little more negatively about the, the Mavs, or is that maybe just kind of exactly where you thought they'd be?
5: Um, I'm I tend to be a little stubborn on these things. So while the Hawks would give me room for optimism, I still wonder about overall talent level le- mm. relative to the top of the East. Um, yep. Are they? You know, I think that they're uh, like maybe on Cleveland's level. I don't think they're on Boston, Milwaukee, Philly at their bests level. Yet, and so I'm gonna have to see it for a little bit longer to get there. Dallas, I sure. kind of was was I was sort of I, I was short Dallas to start the year, um, for reasons we talked about. Nothing that happened on opening night, even with Christian Wood having a very strong game, uh, moved me off of that. And you know, you can't for Philly. You can't win the title in October. So, like, give it give it time. But it was not the as. Uh, how uninvolved Tyrese Maxey was from much of that game was not the uh, the first the first installment I would have wanted to see. <laughs> uh, you brought up Christian Wood. You know
4: the Mavericks. You know they, they obviously they lose Jalen Brunson, but okay, Tim Hardaway Jr. gets healthy, and now it's a full season of Spencer Dinwiddie, and if he stays healthy, and then you got Christian Wood and, and Javale McGee, and so now you've you know the the, the optimists. The optimistic Mavericks fan would say, well, we've offset the loss of Brunson in a different way, right? Like we lost the guard play and the uh, playmaker, creator, whatever, do stuff when Luke is not on the court. But we now have these dive threats we didn't have before. And Christian Wood can, you know, could shoot the jumper too. And so we've got, we just got different. Like, is there a, would you, could you buy into an optimistic view there and as a part of that too, Christian Wood came in with, or at least got to Dallas with the reputation of maybe being kind of a hollow, big numbers guy. Um, And I I don't know, you know, what the the analytics say in general about like guys who put up big numbers on losing teams and whether there's an actual uh, cause effect there and and whether those guys deserve that label. But did Christian Wood deserve that label and is what he's doing in Dallas potentially a net positive just in a different environment?
5: So I I think that the the good stats bad teams, sometimes it goes either way um it's there are some players who you know they do help the team when they're on the floor but it doesn't matter cuz there's not enough talent um you know and he he's been a player whose whose career has been sort of spotty enough in terms of his role and and how much he's actually played that I wouldn't want to make any great pronouncements on that um but more pertinently I don't think um i don't actually think that wood being the guy who ends up taking the shots actually reduces kind of the physical load on luca all that much he still has to create everything and that's mm-hmm. this is you know when he was taking all the shots it was more demonstrable but there's been a, a history over his career something i've looked at in the past where if you look at games where he has to have huge like 35% usage in the first half of games his efficiency in the second half of games is much lower than games where he's been able to spread it around a little bit in the first half. I and by losing Jalen Brunson, they, like okay, fine, maybe he doesn't have usage in terms of taking all the shots, but he's still going to have the ball in his. Like I said, he had the ball in his hands over half the time his team was on offense in 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 game one, and that's that. You know, even if he's in the in the coming into the season in better shape. He is going to wear down, and they are going to lose close games, and they're going to get to the playoffs, and they're going to lose close games in the playoffs. And how many close games in the playoffs do you have to lose before it costs you a series? So I think while it there there could be some positives to come from that, I don't think it really addresses the what I perceive as the fatal flaw in Dallas's roster construction.
4: Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll be curious to see as the season goes on whether they try to make a move to get another, uh, you know, playmaker type, somebody else to, to to share the load, at least take a little bit out of. Although, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie at his best, and I saw him at his best here in, in Brooklyn for a couple years. Um, I think can do some of that, uh, but to the extent that the, that the Mavs have felt very, very Luca heavy, and that I think that there is a ceiling on a team being that heliocentric, as you would say.
5: Um, you were the first two who who first brought that idea to me and i and i've i think i've largely come around to your viewpoint on it that that you really are um you know you're you're hitting a ceiling by having one guy have to do too much
4: yeah it is i mean it's 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 always for me been more suspicion than provable fact but i i just always kind of felt that yeah if um there's, there's a, there's a logical limit because of how predictable it makes you because of how much it wears down the guy who's doing it, whether that's Luca or Harden or Westbrook back in, you know, in his prime, um, it, it just, you know, there, and there's, of course, there's an aesthetic side of this too. And, and, uh, the, the chemistry side of it and other guys need to be involved side of it, but you know, that gets into like squishy, you know, uh, chemistry stuff that, that's that's, almost impossible to quantify but
5: which team you like watching more is isn't a it's not an it's not an irrelevant metric not irrelevant no yeah no i hope it's Back true the- because i like watching this more
4: well and it, it goes to the conversation we had on your podcast which people should go check out of course um which is that like we were talking about the warriors like the warriors are just fun to watch and a lot of it is just their basketball chemistry. Forget their off-court chemistry, <laughs> whether or not there's other things to work out because of Draymond's punch of Jordan Poole. Their basketball chemistry is brilliant. They just dice teams up because they're constantly moving and reading each other and hitting each other in stride, and the ball doesn't stick hardly ever. That's more enjoyable to watch than one guy, however talented he may be, pounding the living shit out of the ball. Um, and if that leads to more wins, e- even better, but...
5: I think it was a pretty sharp uh, contrast on opening night uh, yes. with, with Boston in terms of Boston was for the most part. Um, and for an offense, the last time we saw it was not that, um, you know, in, yeah. in the finals. Like if they if the offensive like approach they had now, obviously, you're talking about dif- different defenders in, in with Golden State than you are with Philly. Um, like, you know, I think that Andrew Wiggins, for example, is a far better matchup for Jason Tatum. Then PJ Tucker is at this point, it's clear. But if, but if everything you're describing about kind of the you know the the adage about the you know the ball having energy, and spreading that around and getting everyone letting everyone play, letting everyone have some fun, like the way Boston played an, an opening night was was a sharp contrast. I thought to yeah. to you know there's a, there's a joyfulness in playing that way that that not only is is more fun to watch, but I think it's probably on balance, all else being equal, more effective.
4: Yeah. Um, I obviously agree. And uh, it will be interesting to see if, if, uh, if that continues as well, as we speak about, uh, small sample sizes. Um, I know you got to get out of here. Any other quick thoughts, any other stat or <sighs> trend one a, is one game trend, a trend even probably is not, it's, well, a cop, it's not the copy, but, a copy editor would tell me no. Yeah.
5: Um, I, uh, so I picked, I picked, uh, the nuggets to make the finals preseason and I think it's gonna end up being a burn the tape game in game one, but that was not good in Utah last night. The, the telling stat from a team that has that has shooting, that has the best passer in the league, uh, and probably one of the, the the most players most able to draw defensive help in the league is they only generated eight open threes all night against a team whose best defensive player is Jared Vanderbilt and whose second best defensive player is Mike Conley at 30-whatever years old. So that's – I mean, I think that Denver will play a lot better. But just in terms of opening night, what what happened, um, that's almost a bigger like um, – that's a bigger mystery to me. Than, than Brooklyn getting walled, but what I, why I think is going to be a pretty good New Orleans team.
4: Yeah, um, yeah, and there, there's there's another one while we're overreacting. Man, the Pelicans, whew. <laughs> they looked amazing. Zion um, took
5: 17 shots at the rim.
4: <laughs> wow. There
5: there will be teams. I, there will, there will be teams that might not average 17 shots at the rim a game this season.
4: Yeah. Um, he is, as we've just been reminded very vividly, very hard to stop once yes. he's on the move. Um, and he will chase his own misses and other people's misses, and he doesn't need much room, and he will find the room if it's not there. Um, just an amazing performance by him, and, and a lot of fun. Speaking of, 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 you know, hey, basketball is just being fun to watch. The Pelicans, wherever they end up this year, I, I think are just going to be a lot of fun to watch, so... Um, Good deal. Uh, Had a few other things that were potentially on the agenda, but we'll do it again and get to those the next time. Uh, Seth Partnow, thank you for coming on again. uh, The book, again, The Mid-Range Theory, the podcast, which I was on, and you can go listen to us uh, yammering there as well as Colin Shots on the Colin app, but also on Spotify and other podcast platforms. Seth, appreciate you, my man. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks a lot, Howard. Talk to you again soon. Okay, that's it for today's show. My thanks again to Seth Partnow. Thanks to our producer, Shelby Royston. And thank you all for listening. Remember, you can hear Chris Mannix and me every Tuesday on The Crossover with all the latest NBA chatter. And then on Fridays, it's me and a guest. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to The Crossover wherever you get your podcasts. And hit me with all your feedback on Twitter, at Howard Beck.
1: to start listening.